Information risk guru Ron Ross explains changes coming to NIST's IT security and privacy catalog of controls, and the U.S. Cyber Command gets an upgrade. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. A lot of our security controls could do double duty, and we have now what we call joint controls, where a single control can satisfy the security program and privacy program. That's NIST fellow Ron Ross. Ross leads the team behind the latest version of the National Institute of Standards and Technologies Security and Privacy Controls for Information Systems and Organizations, also known as NIST Special Publication 853 Revision 5. NIST this month published a draft of the revised guidance. The latest revision differs from the four earlier versions of the catalog of controls that date back to 2004. One, it's not just aimed at federal agencies, but to all types of organizations. Two, it integrates IT security and privacy controls. An example of control performing security and privacy double duty, the awareness and training controls. Here again is Ross. When there are joint controls, it's imperative that the security and privacy groups work together to make sure that each of those groups follow their specific responsibilities so nothing drops through the crack. So in some sense, uh, it is kind of a transition to moving into the new world order where the privacy and security teams are going to have to work more closely together to achieve these kind of holistic solutions that we're looking for. Made up of a myriad of connected computerized devices, the Internet of Things helps spur the integration of security and privacy controls. As Ross points out, many IoT devices collect a lot of personally identifiable information. As those computers move to the edge and we see literally a massive convergence of cyber and physical systems, security is becoming more important and privacy is as well. We wanted to make sure that our controls could be used in any type of computer going to the edge, whether that would be a medical device or whatever it might be. We've tried to restructure the controls so they are more consumable by these different communities of interest uh, to include the entire new space of devices and sensors that are in the IoT space. Federal agencies must abide by NIST security and privacy standards. Still, many non-federal organizations have incorporated NIST guidance into their security practices, a fact that NIST took into consideration when creating the latest revision of its catalog of controls. Three years ago, NIST published the Cybersecurity Framework, a series of best practices aimed at safeguarding the digital assets of the mostly privately operated national critical infrastructure. That initiative underscored NIST's expanding influence in private sector information security. The cybersecurity framework really normalized the space for public and private sector, and that's a big, important step. All of us are kind of in this shared space. We all use the same commercial products, whether they're operating systems, database management systems, cloud services, and that really transcends public and private sectors. When you look at this problem as a national-level problem, it's both a national security problem and an economic security problem, and it goes across public and private sectors. So anytime we can work more collaboratively with industry, with the academic community, to come up with common frameworks and controls and solutions, that's a good thing for the country as a whole. So even though our standards and guidelines are primarily focused on the federal agencies, we always encourage the private sector to use those same standards and guidelines where they feel uh, they're appropriate and they can help build their security and privacy programs. That's NIST Ron Ross addressing the latest revision of NIST's catalog of controls.
When we return after this message, we'll analyze changes that are about to occur at the U.S. military's Cyber Command. Cyber Command needs to become, you know, the digital bodyguard of the United States. This is the ISMG Security Report. ISMG's Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit Toronto, taking place on September 12th and 13th at the Delta Hotel, will feature Art Coviello, former CEO RSA Security, as the keynote speaker. This plus other subject matter experts from Visa, CA Technologies, Carnegie Mellon, and more will discuss key information security topics. Register today at events.ismg.io. Welcome back. Cyber Command needs to become, you know, the digital bodyguard of the United States and needs to empower us to protect our sovereign borders and an extension of those borders moves into to cyberspace and the digital world in which we live. That's Strategic Cyber Venture CEO Tom Kellerman discussing what will soon be a reconstituted U.S. Cyber Command. President Trump last week signed an order elevating Cyber Command to a unified combatant command that will put Cyber Command on par with other unified combatant commands, such as those in specific geographic regions, Europe, Southern, Northern, as well as functional commands, such as Strategic Command. Cyber Command now is a subcommand of Strategic Command and is charged with centralizing the U.S. military's command and cyberspace operations, strengthening Defense Department's cyberspace capabilities, and integrating and bolstering DOD's cyber expertise. Here again is Kellerman. I just hope that by elevating Cyber Command, he will also empower them with the authority to begin to take the gloves off on adversaries like the Russians and the Iranians who have been actively colonizing U.S. cyberspace. They can begin to to utilize active defense measures outside of the sovereign boundaries of the U.S. to go after the bulletproof hosts associated with campaigns like Pawnstorm, to begin to dismantle the, the forums that allow for the distribution of capital for the gun-for-hire services that are being provided there. They could leverage cyber attacks against any sort of Russian aggression against NATO allies, particularly NATO allies in, in the Baltics, NATO allies in, in Eastern Europe. And they could begin to overlay cyber attack capabilities on any sort of U.S. force prominence, per se, any kind of uh, assets that they have overseas that could be in dangerous territories. Trump's order also directed the Defense Secretary and Director of National Intelligence to investigate severing Cyber Command from the National Security Agency, a move many experts expect to happen eventually. Since its creation in 2010, the Director of the National Security Agency also headed Cyber Command. Today, that's four-star Admiral Mike Rogers. The NSA's primary mission is to collect electronic intelligence from American adversaries and separating Cyber Command from the National Security Agency is seen by some experts as setting Cyber Command free to focus on and bolster the U.S. military's offensive cyber capabilities. But in the foreseeable future, these experts see Cyber Command to continue to rely heavily on NSA personnel and other assets to conduct its operations. As adjunct management scientist at the think tank Rand Corporation, Martin Lebicki researches the impact of information technology on national security. The NSA has an ability to get into places. Cybercom has to develop that ability. I don't see much evidence that they're doing so very quickly. It's a difficult job. NSA has been doing it since forever. NSA is 90% civilian. Cybercom is going to be 50% civilian. And although military people are as good as civilians, the fact is that when you restrict your civilian work, 
that the available pool of people in the civilian workforce is towards a magnitude larger than the military workforce. They're also going after a tougher set of targets if they're going after military systems. So for a whole lot of reasons, military systems tend to be harder to penetrate than civilian systems. Not impossible, because nothing's impossible in this world, but certainly a lot harder. So what you have is a smaller organization with a smaller percentage of civilians trying to get into more difficult environments. That's not a recipe for success. Other challenges could face both organizations once they each have their own leaders, rather than sharing a dual-hatted director and commander. Herb Lynn is the Hank J. Holland Fellow in Cyber Policy and Security at the Stanford University think tank, the Hoover Institution. And Lynn sees potential conflicts between an intelligence gathering agency and a combatant command with their own individual agendas. He cites an incident a few years back when the U.S. military had become convinced that extremists planning attacks on American forces in Iraq were making use of a website set up by the Saudi government and the CIA to uncover terrorist plots in the kingdom. Over the objections of the CIA, an elite squad of U.S. military computer specialists mounted a cyber attack that took down the online forum. They were listening in on this website, getting lots of valuable intelligence. And the DOD said, You're, this is killing our guys. It's getting more people onto the battlefield. It's killing our guys. They said, no, no, no. It's getting valuable intelligence and so on. And in the end, DOD unilaterally took it out, launched an offensive operation against it and killed the website. It's almost the equivalent of you know one agency of the U.S. government attacking another one. But not quite like that. There's a Saudi website, but you know. When the time comes to give Cyber Command its own leadership, separate from the National Security Agency, is that the newest unified combatant command will continue to rely on the personnel and resources of the NSA until Cyber Command steadies its sea legs. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. We end today's security report with some observations from ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk on the commotion surrounding endpoint security provider Carbon Black. Carbon Black rolled with a blow last week after it was accused of exposing customer data via a bug. It turned out that there was no bug at all. The accusation from Direct Defense of Denver turned out to be a sensational play for attention. But Carbon Black has gone back and reviewed its code anyway, and it has uncovered a bug that did expose customer data, albeit on a smaller scale than what Direct Defense alleged. The finding again involves a function that many vendors have incorporated into their endpoint detection products. The function sends an unknown file to VirusTotal, which is a so-called multi-scanner from Google. VirusTotal runs a file through more than 60 other anti-malware scanners from various vendors. That sharing, however, usually only occurs if customers have selected the option to upload files. That's because sharing could result in data exposure. Sharing binaries with VirusTotal and other scanners is an incredibly popular feature in endpoint detection products. It's essentially a backstop. If a particular product can't reach a verdict on whether a binary is malicious or not, the decisions made by other vendors are useful input. Carbon Black took a closer look at its CB response product to check for bugs after direct defense's accusation. It found CB response would sometimes share content files with VirusTotal in very specific circumstances. Around 10 of Carbon Black's 3,000 customers are affected. Those customers have been notified and Carbon Black has provided them with copies of the files. The bug was introduced in April and only affects Mac OS. A sensor within CB response mistakenly classified some content files as binaries before flicking them to VirusTotal. 
files were only shared if customers had enabled sharing. The situation could have potentially resulted in the exposure of sensitive data depending on what is in the files. VirusTotal subscribers have access to its full cache of files which can be downloaded for analysis. Carbon Black is fortunate that the bug was isolated to very specific use cases. The affected organizations presumably knew they were already voluntarily sharing and were conscious of the risks, but it's a strong reminder that dependency on other suppliers, which is virtually impossible to avoid in today's world, can result in data mishaps. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.